following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Good afternoon and welcome to the Afternoon Cinema. My name is Christopher Windsor and I am joined once again by my co-host, Mike Larkin. How are you, Mike? I'm good, thanks. How about you? I'm not bad. Uh, the first thing I should say, as me and Mike were just discussing a moment ago, for some reason I've lost the ability to use stereo sound in this. And I don't know why, I've changed all this, the settings in Audio Hijack, but it's just not working. So I'm sorry, but this is the best you Listen, can Listen, the Beatles managed to record half their albums without the benefits of stereo sound, so <laughs> we should be okay. <laughs> so today we are here to review what I consider to be a not only a classic but a behemoth of um animated films and no it's not something that you've got from disney although we are going to talk about disney briefly it's actually the Hayao Miyazaki film from studio ghibli's called spirited away um and it's honestly i think it's lovely i think it's beautiful mike seems to hold a different opinion to me um so no what no 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 you might be surprised by my opinion <laughs> well what i'll do is i'll do a, a quick small intro um to the film then we'll hear mike's um initial opinions we'll go over the story we'll go over the cast and then we'll end up on conclusions um so as i say spirited away it was. It wasn't the first film that was made by Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki, um, nor was it the first film of his to be released. Um, Princess Mononoke and Kiki's Delivery Service were made well before this was. But I think the difference was that for some reason this is the first that really broke into the British market. Um, this came out sometime around two thousand three, I believe. Um, Princess Mononoke. Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Thank you. Oh, two thousand three um, in the UK. Yeah, um, Princess Mononoke and Kiki's Delivery Service, despite the fact that they'd been made a good ten years prior, didn't hit this country until the um, early two thousands for for whatever reason. Um, but it did eventually make it here and indeed to other countries. After Spirited Away, we got what was really was the wonderful house moving castles um which i do think made it into the british mainstream cinema i'm not sure that it ever actually did but the reason for this coming through as i say was partly due to walt disney it was never stated that the likes of Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki had a particularly bad relationship with Walt Disney. It was more just a, well, we do our thing, you do your thing, let's call the whole thing off. But now they seem to have a respectful relationship with, to the extent that I believe um, this film was actually released by Walt Disney, the Walt Disney Company in America um, to, to release it, because otherwise it was probably not going to get very far, unfortunately. Um, but there does seem to be a certain level of respect there. Um, now, I think I must have heard a review of this film before I saw it. Um, otherwise, I can't think of any way that I would have necessarily heard of this. Um, I was studying media at the time, and I wanted to get into film in a big way, and one of my weekly rituals was downloading the Mark Mode um, podcast. I still do, but not as much as I used to do. Um, you know, this was back in 2000. You know, we had limited ways of really being able to access certain information. In fact, really, the only way we had the ability to do this was through the likes of IMDb. And when that came along, it changed an awful lot of people's It was um, a game viewing. changer. It really was. But it was one of those weird things where it just sprang out of nowhere. 
and no one knows where it came from. I mean, we know it's owned by Amazon now, but back in the day, no one really knew where it came from. I think it was just a bunch of assorted, um, you know, geeks who, you know, film fans like you and I who really love the movies and wanted to kind of collect that information. I think that's probably what it was, to be fair. I mean, fair. I didn't even know it was owned by Amazon. Um, yeah, and I think the only reason I know that is because if you go on certain films on IMDb, you can rent directly from IMDb, and I think it redirects you to Amazon. I'm sure it's owned by Amazon these days. So, well, let's face it, Amazon own every, everything. Um, but, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, I do is that going to be Amazon, Google, or Facebook? <laughs> true, or Microsoft, yeah, that's true. Um, I do, however... No, just... it can't be Microsoft, because it still works. Um, as I say, Max Rule, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I do remember seeing this uh, in the cinema, though. You know, um, I actually went to see this with two friends of mine, um, Simon and Howard, in a very small cinema in my hometown. And when I say small cinema, I mean it has enough One room. Uh, dude, it had forty seats in it. That's that's small, and that's, that's it. Um... And that, and if it got forty people in, that was considered a popular night in packed th- capacity. I think I think the box at the fact is bigger than that. Yes, it is. It, it. I mean, don't get me wrong. And I mean, you know, we we could talk about this a bit longer at another stage because I think this is actually quite an interesting topic to cover. Um, it was good for what it was. You know, considering and um, the population of Cockermouth. I don't know how many actually people are in Cockermouth itself, but it's quite good to to its credit. Um. But, yeah, I seem to remember all three of us wanting to see it and, you know, really being excited for this, you know, knowing that we were witnessing something special. And I don't think we were wrong. Um, But, yeah, that is basically my brief, um, very brief introduction to this film. And I've got, I I could go on for a lot longer, but I won't. Um, So I'll turn the microphone over to you, Mike. Um, You said you'd never seen this film. Uh, tell me what you thought and if what you thought of me recommending this for us to watch it. Can I just ask, did you see the the uh, the dub version originally or was it subtitled? We saw the subtitled version originally. I'm fairly certain it was in um, subtitles because generally, and I saw the subtitled version of Fact um, again last year. Um, generally speaking, I would prefer to watch with the original Japanese voice actors over the American voice actors or British voice actors. That's not to say anything horrible against the Americans. It's just that in this sort of a film, I would rather hear the original contact. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen adverts um, recently for the for the. Sorry, I'll stop talking about this in a minute. I'll let you. I'll actually let you talk um, for the recent Your Name, um, which, as Mike knows, I've somewhat fallen in love with. and I saw it with American dubbing over the trailer and just thinking, this isn't right for me. Because I've fallen in love with the voices I know from the original Japanese, it just doesn't feel right. But anyway, I'll stop talking and actually let you talk again. Okay. Um, well, I think this film surprised me because, first of all, let me just say, this is beautifully animated. Gorgeous yes, animation. Because uh, at first I was watching it, I was thinking, why couldn't they have made this live live action? Um, I thought it was. I thought it, at first it would work quite well as live action, but I, I can see why it was animated. Because um, it is beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. 
to to behold. And unlike you, the first time I watched this was the American dub version. Uh, again, I'm not going to slag off the cast because I think they do quite well, but there are a few things that I have to say. Um, first is, this kind of comes across as, as a Tim Burton Japanese wet dream. <laughs> it really is. It's that bizarre and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Um, throughout the entire movie and it doesn't really seem to hold many threads Um, you may disagree with me on that but it kind of jumps pretty much straight into the action they don't mess around from seemingly a point in the movie where it couldn't jump into action I mean, did that did that put you off, or did it confuse you at all, or, or did it you confused know... me a little bit? Not quite as much as the question of why do why do characters in Japanese movies always seem to be yelling even when they don't need to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is somewhat of a trope. It's got to be said. It's it's like hang on, you you know you're meant to be you know you don't need to scream. The person sitting right across the room from you. Um, there is no need to be that loud. <laughs> but um but that's beside the point. Um I found that a lot of the characters in this movie were incredibly dickish. <laughs> yeah, they were, to be fair. Um and almost irredeemably dickish. It's like I mean, even Shihiro, um, who everyone's being dickish to, was kind of a dick. Yeah, I mean We'll definitely come on to that later with the characters, but I know what you mean. But then again, I think they were kind. Of, I think they were, I think that was the environment they were in. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know. I think that's why the character of No Face is so significant in the characters that we see. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely cover that. But just out of interest, because had you you'd not so okay, so you'd not seen this before I recommended it. No, but you knew. Instantly, that it was a Studio Ghibli and a Hayao Miyazaki film, and it's... I didn't know it was Miyazaki. Uh, you just knew it was Studio Ghibli. I just knew it was Studio Ghibli because I'm not as big into the into manga or Japanese anime animation. I was, yeah, I was going to say, can I just stop you there for a second because this is certainly not manga. It's not manga. I've seen but... manga, and I'm going to mention which film I've seen as a manga film, and this is not manga. But no, all. I've seen Akira, and this is this is not Akira, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> I don't want to don't want to make that comparison unfairly and have people confused going. Jesus, this guy, this guy thinks fucking Spirit of the Way is a manga. I'm aware it's not manga. I'm just saying that it's obviously it's a Japanese animation style. And so that's that's what I'm using as a basis but uh, to draw on. How, okay, so if you've never seen it, and if you've never heard of um, Hayao Miyazaki in general, um, how did you come across Studio Ghibli and how did you come across Spirit of the Way? I mean, I read movie reviews... Um, even for movies I'm never going to watch mm. um, and this was one with it, and of course at the, at the time this came out this was massive in this country it was a Japanese movie that had made 200 million dollars in the US yeah um, before it had been released <laughs> you know that, that's not, so that kind of stands out you know that kind of it sits up and goes you know pay attention to me 
Um, so I've I've only heard of it just through kind of the buzz and the hype. But again, not through any any will of not wanting to watch it. Just hadn't ever really ha- gotten the chance to sit down and and properly watch it. Um, well, to to be fair, I mean, you know that that's not that's not exactly your fault. I mean, as I said at the start of the as I start said, as I said, I'll get words if it kills me at the start of the episode. Yeah, it's we. I know it. I know it's a trite thing to say, but we live in very different times. I, we live in very different cultures as well. I don't think anybody who was in say who was say nine or ten in two thousand can appreciate just how much the world has changed between the year two thousand and the year two thousand seventeen. Admittedly, seventeen years is a reasonable amount of time, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a speck in the dark. It's a speck in the it's ocean. A, it's a blink of an eye. But. It's- Things have changed so dramatically. You and I have seen things change so dramatically. Yeah, you know, absolutely. When it comes to food, cars, technology, film, music, whatever you want to talk about, it has all significantly changed. I mean, it's all significantly changed in just the last 10 years. It's it yeah, I mean, an awful lot's changed simply since 2017. Undoubtedly, we are living the in, the, in the future Gene Roddenberry had designed for us. Yeah. Um, um, apart from the fact that we're still, you know, going out of our way to kill one another. And, well, yeah. And I people are still well. gigantic dicks yeah. day to day. Um, you know, technology-wise, did you think 10 years ago we'd have such screen phones? Yes, because I had one. Was it anywhere near as good as um, anything you can get today? It used a stylus. So it wasn't really touchscreen, it was well, more kind of... not to get technical, but yes it was, yes, no it wasn't. It was technically, um, hang on, I've just got to remember the differences here. It was, technically it wasn't capacitive, but technically it was, and um, I'm just trying to think of what the other version of it was. But, but, okay, but, but let's not talk about TVs. that. Yeah, um... Internet-connected TVs. Indeed. And I think the main thing is is distribution of film. It was so different. You know, I I remember having net... I remember having Blockbuster Video back in 2007. Actually, when I first moved to, uh, to Liverpool. And you could still rent things on disc. And I'm sure Netflix had something similar. And Amazon had something similar as well. It was almost impossible to see films like this... Back in two thousand seven, and and well before that, um, I, I it still amazes me that this film came to our little rinky dink theatre because that's what it was. Um, yeah. In Cockermouth, it, it was it was a small theatre where someone had set up a projector at the back of a room with a screen that pulled down, and we watched films because that's all we had, and. That blows my mind that we managed to do that. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk about the story. Um, I haven't written a massive amount about the story, but I will explain why. Okay, so Spirited Away is the story of Chihiro. And, by the way, just for the record, if I pronounce anyone's names incorrectly, I do apologise, but thankfully these ones are fairly easy to say, I think. Um, Whilst moving to a new home, 
Chihiro and her parents are going along the countryside. On the way to the new home, uh, Chihiro's father makes a wrong turn due to driving erratically and far too fast. Uh, despite the fact he has a four-wheel drive, he, he justifies driving at that speed because he's got a four-wheel drive. What a moron. Um, anyway, driving down the lonely one road, his car comes to a stop in front of a tunnel thanks to a small concrete bollard that they would have quite easily crashed into had he not been a bit more careful. After stopping the car, they decide to explore a tunnel that they see in front of them, and going through it, they see a massive a massive hill, and they start smelling food that's been prepared, and see an amusement park that's straight ahead of them. Going into the abandoned amusement park on the other side, there seems to be its own little town in its own right, and Jahira's parents start to eat at a restaurant. Um, they basically think, you know what, no one's here, so we're just going to help ourselves, and we'll pay for it at some point. As you do. As you do, exactly. You know, they'll eat now, pay later, really, who cares? Um, Chihiro refuses to eat, um, on the principle of, look, no one's here, we haven't asked permission, we can't just go ahead and help ourselves, just because no one's here to, you know, no one's there to ask. It, it doesn't Stop work like so that. Stop massively dickish. Exactly. Um, so she says, you know what, I'll come back later, I'll see you in a little while. She goes to explore the theme park a bit more, and it starts to become fairly obvious that things aren't quite right. Um, she meets a boy called Haku, who tells her that Cherry and her parents are in danger, and they must leave immediately. She runs back to the restaurant to try and find her parents and say, look, we have to go, and it turns out they've turned into pigs. In addition to this, the theme park turns out to be a town that's inhabited by demons, spirits, and gods. And at the centre of the town is a huge bathhouse where the creatures go to relax. Escaping the dangers, um, Chihiro meets Haku once again, who promises to help her, but she must find a job, or she'll be turned into an animal like her parents before her, and she will be basically banished there forever. Now, I'm not going to go into the story too much longer. I've basically summed up the first ten minutes of the film to an extent, because... A, there's far too much story to cover. B, it's far too complicated to, to talk about on this podcast. I think you'd agree, Mike. And yeah. C, I don't want to ruin it for people. Normally, we say, you know what, S spoiler warning, if you've not seen this film, turn off now. But in this case, if you've not seen this film, I don't want to spoil it for anybody because I think it is a film to see for first hand. And, and enjoy it. I mean... Yeah, it is, yeah. Absolutely. Th this isn't, you know... This film isn't the most complicated film that Miyazaki has ever made. If you want to see a more complicated film, watch um, House Moving Castle. That really doesn't make a great deal of sense. Um, so what was your gut reaction having watched this and having heard me gush over it and people saying how good this film was? When, when, you, when you finish watching it, what what did you think? What what was? Were you glad you'd seen it? I mean, I was I was glad I'd seen it, but at the same time, I could have just as easily not seen it and not noticed any difference in my life. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie there and say, you know, this film, you know, is is the dog's bollocks because you know <laughs> it is what it is. It's a nice story. It's as I say, it's wonderfully animated and. Uh, Miyazaki um, does a wonderful job and thankfully he decided to make it because he had actually considered retiring after making uh, Princess Mononoke. Mm. 
Um, and basically he made it because he, his friend's 10-year-old child has um, had been acting quite sullen, as 10-year-olds tend to do in fairness. Yeah. yeah. So that's why he decided to make it. I'm, you know, I'm glad he did make it, because as I say, it's a beautiful film, and Princess Mononoke is one that I have heard of, surprisingly. Um, so I was aware, kind of, in the back of my mind, before going into this, that it was from the same guy, but I wasn't absolutely certain that it was. Neither was I, was I completely sold on it. You know me. You know, if somebody tells me something is the most wonderful thing since sliced bread, I'm going to say, fuck you, dude. Sliced bread is still pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so from that regard, I kind of entered it, it with just as much of an open mind as, as I would have entered any other movie. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to outright say, no, this, this film isn't for me. Because... You know that way. If you do, if you if you approach life like that, then you'll never discover anything new. You know, it's like people saying, "I don't like, you know, I don't like caviar." Well, have you ever tried caviar? No. Then how do you know you don't like it? Would you recommend this to other people? Would you think? I probably would, but I wouldn't massively go out of my way to do so. If you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, I'd say to people, if you're interested, then by all means watch it. But you know, you don't need to kind of to set a day. You know, as I did uh, last night, set the day aside for it. Yeah, no, that's um, fair. I mean, one film that has that also came out a couple of years ago, which I did see and I did absolutely love, which isn't by um, Jaime Ozaki and it's not made by Studio Ghibli, although I think there were certain amount of connections. Um, Actually, two films now that I think about it. Uh, when Marnie was there, that came out in 2014, which is absolutely stunning. Uh, I can I really recommend that. And also The Red Turtle that came out earlier this year, um, which is almost a completely silent film, apart from the dialogue of, hey, said three times, but otherwise it's, honestly, I think it's one of the most beautiful films I've seen this year. Apart from that other film, which I'm not going to mention because I think Mike's probably sick of hearing it. Um, You're sorry, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the one. How did you know that? Okay. Um, so, um <laughs> Let's talk about the characters. Now, there are a lot of characters in this film, to be fair. Um, so I'm just going to focus on... Uh, I'm just going to focus on six for the time being. And even then, I'm not going to say a massive amount on them. And, Mike, uh, you can you can jump in with any of these guys as well. Just before we start on the characters, you mentioned before a bit of a kind of... War of attrition between uh, between Studio Ghibli and Disney. I'm wondering. Well, it wasn't... I'm, I'm just wondering because there was a little nod in this movie to Pixar. I don't think it was necessarily that either party had a particular problem with each other. Well, what I'm wondering because I say there is a little nod to Pixar in this movie, who uh, movie fans might know at the time. While they were affiliated with Disney, weren't actually owned by Disney. No, they weren't. They were they still a separate entity. But also, I don't know if you picked up on this, in the in the US dub version, 
The assistant manager is played by John Rattenberger, who is a big. He, he's a favourite of, uh, of, of Pixar's. He's been in literally every Pixar movie. He's done everything with them, hasn't he? Yeah. So I'm just wondering if, if there was a bit of a fuck you from Disney. You, you know, you take an RTS guy. It's it's possible. I mean, I I think it's less of a case of the the fact that they disliked each other, more of a case of well, we make one type of film, and you make something entirely different, and never the twain shall meet. Um, yeah. You know, it's like th- this this film is rated a PG. Now, I. I don't know what the specific age is for showing someone a PG film, but on the basis that we've got a twelve, that we've got um, a rating of PG twelve, PG to twelve in this country, I'm not sure that an eleven year old would necessarily get on with this. I certainly wouldn't show this to an eight or nine year old. For no, one thing, I, for one thing, I think I th- it's scary. I think, I think some of it would go too far above their heads. It, yeah, it would either go over their heads or. I think they would find it genuinely creepy. I mean, some of the scenes... I mean, there are some of the staring sequences there are. In, this, in this movie. I mean, what, what amazed me the most, um, the last time I saw this in the cinema, um, I think it was last year, because Fact were doing a Studio Ghibli marathon season, and there was a father and a young girl who sat in front of me. And I couldn't tell, but on based upon height... I would say that she was about 11 or 12, but obviously I don't go asking how old people's daughters are. No, Let's that stop that. Let's... Yeah, it, it is creepy. But I thought, oh God, she's going to be bored, she's going to be talking, she's going to be asking questions, and I'm going to be like, why did you bring your child to this film? But fair play, she went along with it. You know, she was quite... I mean, some kids, some kids can't sit through a film without being incessantly annoying. Whereas, I can't help but feel that if I showed this to certain people that I know of my age or older, they probably wouldn't get on with it. They'd probably find it boring. Um, you know, because there's no action in it. There's no violence. There's no I swearing. Don't think, I don't think it's boring in any way. God, no. I don't think it is. But I think the problem is that because... I, I, I don't know. I, I just It's don't... confusing. Yeah. Is what, is what I would say. It, it can be highly confusing. I mean, just just, just as a brief example, um, going away from Spirited Away just for a moment, um, I remember once sitting down and watching um, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind with my mother. Because still need to watch that. Well, I think it's a wonderful film. Now, but it's complicated. Excuse me. It, it is hard to follow. And my mum said to me about 20 minutes in, so at what point does this film start to make sense? And I said to her, Let, let's know. just give up. Because honestly, you're not going to get... You know, I could tell she was enjoying it, but she was confused. And, is it, and it is a confusing film. So I thought, let's just watch... TV or something because I don't think you're gonna get this. Yeah, I, I, I would say on. watch it, Mike. Honestly, I really would. In fact, we should probably go there at some point because it's a damn good film. Um, it's 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 on my list because I have got a list of films I wanted to watch. It's one of Carrie's um, best roles, in my opinion. Really? 
It is, and amazingly, um, <coughs> I, I didn't want to kill his co-star, whose name I can't remember. Kate Winslet? Kate Winslet, that's it. I didn't want to kill her, which was, you know... Oh, I mean, it's, it's written Winslet. by Charlie Kaufman, and um, I'm, a, I'm a big Charlie Kaufman fan. Yeah. I genuinely rate the guy's work. Because mm. um, he... I mean, was about the guy who wrote Being John Malkovich? That was a good film. That was an amazing film. <laughs> uh, it's... It's probably in my top 100. Yeah. They also wrote Adaptation, which saw... I'm Nicholas glad Cage. you said that, because people keep on telling me off for calling it that. Why was it? What do they call it? No, hang on, I call it Adaption. And then everybody shouts at me that it should be called Adaptation. Because that's what it is. Fuck adaptation. Well, he wrote, but he wrote well, you know what? You're going on my list of being wrong as well. Welcome to the club. Listen, Oxford English Dictionary, look it up. The Oxford Dictionary... That thing does not talk to you. Anyway, this is not spirited away. Let's let's get back uh, to the film yeah. and let's talk about back the characters. Back on track we've told ourselves off of this and we need to <laughs> spirited away. Yep. So... Um, the first character we have is Chihiro. Um, she's a young girl of around eight or nine. Ten. She was ten, wasn't she? Thank you. Yeah. Who, at the beginning of the film, comes across as a bit of a brassy little girl. But to be fair, she is a small girl who's being forced away from everything she knows and her friends and being forced to move to a new town because her parents say so. I don't necessarily blame her for being a bit the way that she was. I was probably the same at that age. But then again, by the end of the film, she seems to go through a transition and learns a lot about life and how to be and how to grow up. And for that, I give the character a certain amount of credit. Uh, she's not a character I can say an awful lot about, but I didn't hate her by the end of the film, whereas at the start of the film, I wanted to strangle her. Uh, Mike, what was your take on Chihiro? Same as you, dude. Um, a little bit of a brat, and kind of came across as slightly annoying. Um, let me just. Sorry, I'm just. Voiced by David Chase. Uh, if you don't know her, she's a wonderful actress. Um, I'm just gonna look up what she's been in. Because I do know her, and she would have been. When when the American dub, I mean, when she did the American dub version, she would have been about twelve years old. So kudos to her. Um, she was in Big Love, the TV series. She was in uh, S Darko, which was the spin-off from obviously Donnie Darko. Uh, she's primarily a voice actor by the by the looks of her um, her resume, but she was also in the Ring. She was Samara in the Ring. All right, okay. The American version. I didn't even... So, um, hmm. fantastically talented actress, um, and she—I think she does well in this role, even though we do still have that um, amazingly confusing trope of why are you yelling all the time? There's nothing to yell at. Stop yelling. Well, to be fair, I mean, I mean, I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, um, when her when she goes to see her parents as the pigs and she screams at them, it's like, well. In her defence, she's just seen her parents turn into a pig. You can't blame her for being a bit over the top. Yeah, I mean, at that point, yeah. But you monster, Michael. Just like, 
this boy, this ten-year-old girl, this ten-year-old girl has lost her parents. She's being forced to move away, and she's seeing ghosts around her. And you're having a go for shouting a little bit too much. No, you bloody monster! Because at the beginning, she's like, "Oh, these flowers are shit. They die." <laughs> she didn't say that. In in as many words. <laughs> Okay, uh, do you have any more to say about Chihiro? Nope. You know, she's, at the end of the movie, she's a fully rounded character. Um, yeah. And she she seems to be the only one out of the entire family who's learned a single fucking thing throughout <laughs> the entire process. Agreed. I hate some uh, parents. Because the mum and dad, again, massively dickish towards her at the beginning. Yeah. How are you allowed to be parents? I mean, I've I've not written anything up about the parents because A, they're on screen for so little and B, I didn't like them. I thought they were horrible. The way that her mother speaks to her daughter, you know, like, oh, get over it effectively. I was like, no, yeah. shut, up, shut up. That's just Stop horrible. Stop being such a bitch. Yeah. Um, so the next character we come across uh, is Haku. Uh, he's a young man who I believe was in his teens. Uh, he was never really determined, but I would say that he, if he wasn't in his teens, he was very close to being in his teens. Well, I mean, he was a spirit, so I think he, he just kind of a moot point. True. Although he's he undying, so you know he's probably a few thousand years old by this point in the movie. He didn't seem that much older than Chihiro, though, in real terms. Yeah, I mean, this is something we'll come on to later, because this is something I think is a little bit weird about this movie, but we'll go on. Um, um, he seemed oppressed in his duties and basically accepted that he was going to be there forever, and that was just um, how things were. Um, but again, in terms of character development, he did learn to change, and he did bring a positive strength in his actions and the consequences of what he needed to do and what he needed to become by the end of the film. So in a way, he was kind of the strongest character in this. Um Apparently he was untrustworthy, but I never really understood exactly why he was untrustworthy. Um, he seemed to want to be helping Shihiro for the right reasons. Um, but yeah, I don't, again, I don't have a massive amount to say about him. Have, have you got anything to, to say about Haku? Not really, I mean, um, and this, this is the thing I wanted to touch on as being a bit creepy. is okay. kind of, It goes on about true love. Now, bear in mind, we're talking about a 10-year-old girl. Okay. And I was like, oh, you found your true love. I was like, dude, she's, she's not even hit puberty. <laughs> and, and you've got her basically married off to a ghost. Yeah, I never really thought about that in such terms, in all honesty. Um, it was never something that... I, I, I never really thought about it in... In that idea, if I'm completely honest, I always thought they're more of just friends than anything else, um, and and nothing more than that. But then oh, again, maybe it, I wasn't paying attention to that. It's just the slug, and and the spell, and only true love can remove the spell. Yeah, but like, yeah, but that was her saying it. That wasn't him saying that he was in love. No, that was it. that was the old lady. Yeah, that was in, that was implied. That, that was it, Zaniba, the um, barber's twin sister. Yeah. 
so I don't know. I I never I never really got that feeling, and it never really felt bad to me. I mean, at, at the end of it, when they came back on the bridge and were holding hands, I never really considered that to be anything especially bad or anything especially dodgy. In all in all honesty, um, but otherwise, I mean, maybe it, it's not. Maybe it's just me be, being a bit weird about it and <laughs> reading things in that aren't there. But... You are. You're reading far too much into their characters, my friend. <laughs> Okay, well, since you brought her up, um, and also she's on my list next, so hey, isn't that handy? Uh, you have uh, Yubaba, who is the evil old overlord of the of the bathhouse where Chihiro and Taku work. She basically asks people to work as hard as possible to keep her patrons happy. She she wants well, to why, keep. Yeah, why well, does that make her bad? Exactly, it's not shown really in the film what. What exactly that she's done in your barber's defense? I'm gonna speak in your barber's defense here because you said that she's the she's the wicked overlord. Listen, she's a woman running a business in a very male centric society. She's trying to earn a crust and she wants people to work as hard as she does. Damn it! Exactly. Offer. She she's simply a businesswoman who gets angry when her boss is when a business rather is not ran correctly. You know, apparently exactly. her, her evil side is revealed by the end of it. But honestly, I got the feeling she wasn't all that evil to begin with. Aside from the fact that she's far too old to have a son, that's just creepy. Um, you know, I, I, frankly, well, I, I don't know if I want to go there. Yeah, shut your legs, sweetheart. You, know, um, you should be, you should be uh, putting your feet up and knitting. But she didn't well, seem terrible, you know. She seemed almost nice in the end, you know. And she, are you sure you're not confusing you, Baba, with her sister? No, because the way two of them, no, they were identical twins. No, because at the end of the day, you know, you Baba gave her a job. She gave her um summer to eat, summer to live rather. She gave her food. She gave her clothing. She could have turned around and said, "No, get out," you know. You're not even... I don't want you here. And you know what? She'd probably have been within her rights to do so. Now, as hard... You know, I know it might sound oppressive and I know it might sound harsh, but I think she could have been a lot worse. And given Chihiro's attitudes, I wouldn't have blamed Jubaba for turning around saying, look, just get out of my sight, little girl. I really wouldn't have blamed her. No, you wouldn't. Um, okay, well, if you haven't got anything more to say about Yubaba, um... We'll go on to uh, Kamaji, um, who works in the boiler room of the bathhouse itself. Uh, he basically makes sure that all the water is kept warm and that the baths, the bath salts rather, are to be provided. Um, initially, he comes across as quite a horrific character when Chira meets him, um, and you're never really sure what what he's about or what he's actually like. But he almost comes across as likable near the end of the film. You know, do, do you know what I mean? I actually yeah. quite liked him. I mean, he, he gives her the, the train ticket to get out, man. Yeah, I mean, and he's he, been saving that ticket for forty years. God damn it! <laughs> you know, yeah, that was his ticket out of the place, and he's sacrificed it so that this little girl can can go and be reunited with her parents and, and shit. <laughs> and. Um, the the other thing I loved about Kamalji was that the dust mites were just adorable. Oh, the soot. Yeah. 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 I've the... got nothing against the soot. The soot was cute and cuddly. It was I just wa- so funny, wasn't it? The way where they can I buy some soot? <laughs> 
I want just, 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 just to give it, a, just to, just to, and, and this isn't a massive spoiler, but it's just one scene I absolutely loved. Um, there was one scene where one of the soot is holding a particularly heavy piece of um, coal, oh. and it squashes him. So Chihiro picks up the coal and helps him out, and all of the rest of the dust mites realize, hang on, she'll do the same if we do it. So that one of them just standing there, like work. You can see he's working out in his head, and then does it. Yeah, and then all the others do it, and they're like, "Yeah, we can get away with this." That that scene, I hate, I've got to say, that scene was freaking adorable. It was, wasn't it? Even though there's um, not really anything. It it was it was a really nothing scene, but it really it really kind of made me think, "Oh, <laughs> these guys are awesome." <laughs> they're only little piece of dust, but they're quite cute at the same time. It's it's just just yeah. from the from the fairness. That has been somehow magically animated and brought to life. <laughs> um, do you have anything more to say about Kamaji, or should we move on? Just a note, I would like to say, um, in a way, the stuff is almost cannibalistic, I've just realised this, because they're bringing coal to the furnace to make more stuff. Yeah. So, or maybe so kind of, in a way, life. as cute and cuddly as they may be, those those guys are badass dudes. <laughs> okay, um, so we'll move on to uh, Lynn next, who is sort of the um, the mother figure and far better of a mother than her actual mother um, to Chihiro. Um, despite her initial reservations of Chihiro, she does seem to have her best interests at heart and she does seem to want to help her although to be fair I think even that is somewhat questionable um have you seen the woman who plays Lynn in the American version uh, I have not no she looks like Lynn really really I'm on her her IMDB page now and honest to god (laughs) beautiful woman um I shall, um, I shall look her up later just for just yeah. intrigues. Um just yeah. I mean Lynn um I like Lynn. She I think she's a cool character. She is. Um and it could have it could have gone one way or the other because it could have been because at first it was she kinda came across as very unlikable. Mm, yeah. Um but when when the um when Kamachi would say, oh, this is my granddaughter. She's like, she, she kind of gets on board and goes, okay, I'll buy into this. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, the, the scene that makes me really question is to say what exactly what who you know who was she working for exactly? Um, was the lift in the in the scene where it was saying like you know she was worried that a human was going to be caught? Well, the even to go off. Exactly, and it was like, well, did she hide Chihiro because she was genuinely concerned for Chihiro's welfare, or did she try and get rid of Chihiro because she thought, if I'm caught with this little girl, I'm probably going to get into an awful lot of trouble here. So was it purely for self-interest, or was it really because she wanted to help Chihiro out? It couldn't have been a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to see the good side in Lynn. I really do, but I couldn't help but shake the feeling today when I was writing up my notes that she possibly wasn't the nicest person in the world overall. 
I think there's a little bit of both. There's, you know, there is self-preservation in there because she's like, shit, if I get caught, man, this is contraband. It is effectively, yeah. It is, it is um, basically drugs. You know, I've, got, I've got a human wearing the spirit world. These, these, she, this little chick isn't meant to be here. <laughs> I've got to act in my best, in my self-interest here. Yeah. So, you know, you can't really knock her for that because... Let's face it, I think if we were all caught in a similar situation, we'd probably do the same. Absolutely. Be like, Absolutely. yeah, you look at this, look at this fucking roasting these dudes. Okay, so the final character, and we will, you know, we're going to wrap up soon because, um, you know, we, we've not got a lot of time on our hands, but um, the final character that I want to talk about um, was No Face, um, <laughs> otherwise known as uh, Keonashi. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, he is a demon who seems to generally want to assist Shihiro um, and help her out. I think that this is mainly because he sees that she is not greedy and that she is not self-centred. She purely wants to get back to her family. She's not interested in money. Um, she's she's not a greedy person. She just wants to get back home. Whereas... Yeah, see where he's creating the gold and everyone's like, oh, gold! Yeah, and there's that wonderful song and dance at the beginning. It's just like, it's, it's um, sorry, halfway through, rather. And it's so obviously like, ooh, kiss his ass, kiss his ass. And it's just like, oh my god, I want to smack you. Because that's what it was. Um, yeah. You know, she doesn't do that. She's not buying into it. And ultimately, he doesn't try to hurt or destroy her. Um, I loved No Face the first time I saw him. As a character, he intrigued me. Um, and whilst I can't find any real mytholo- mythology to suggest that this is in any way a real ghost in it's Japan. Not. Um it's and it's purely made up for storytelling purposes. The face of no face, such as it is, was actually based on that of a silkworm, which is hugely influential in Japanese culture. But I wouldn't be surprised if in some part of Japan or in in very old demon mythology there is something similar to No Face. I, I mean, mean there, there, pro- there probably is. You've obviously drawn the influence from somewhere in the in the character design. I mean, one one um, thing one thing I loved about um, Ring, sorry, um, was that it really intrigued me um, about Japanese demons overall, uh, because there's a very good line in. And sorry, we'll, we'll get back to Spirited Away in a moment, but I just think this is interesting to talk about demons very briefly. Um, is there's a line in the book where there's a demon mask on a wall and the small daughter um, in the book is terrified of this mask. And they say, you know, she is only terrified of things because we teach her to be terrified. Why is she scared of this demon? It means nothing to her. And that really got me intrigued into the demon mythology of Japan in general because I think they've got a far better mythology than we have in this country and in the Western world in general. We seem to have things black and white. Um, Japan and China seems to be very much more grey, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I mean they're very spiritual. Uh, the Japanese are very into very, without sounding trite about it, very zen. No, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Um, I tend to agree. Uh, and they they very much embrace and embrace their own culture. 
Um, they don't shy away from it like we tend to do. You know, Britain, Britain is all stiff upper lip and and cup of tea and crumpets. Um, Does that mean I'm going to get kicked out of the country because I don't like cups of tea? I mean, that's I think that's the that's the opinion people have of us is that it's it's all you know tea and crumpets and crickets <laughs> and um, Not to say that we that that's entirely <coughs> what we are about as a nation. Just you know that would be the opinion. If you were a foreigner looking out at, at Britain, they would be the things that come to mind. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, well. I'll do a bit. Of, I'll do a quick summing up, uh, and then you can do the same, and then we'll probably call it a day because I think we've spoken about this far more than either of us thought we were actually going to. In all honesty, I'm quite pleased at how much we've really spoken about this, and you know, I think especially actually... considering you thought I was going to outright. I did. This off. I I don't know. I just got the feeling that you didn't like this. I'm not sure what it was. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. For for me though, it is truly a special film as far as I'm concerned and it will be a film I always go back to as well as showing me you know that there are other animated films out there I mean I'm, I'm quite certain that I'd seen um, the aforementioned Akira um, before this and also uh, the Legend of the Demon Room and if you've not seen that please don't watch it don't don't even go out of your way to look it up because honestly it's it's horrible and more than anything else. I know you're Googling this now, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, good. I'm not. Um, I'm going to Google it. What's it called again? Legend of the Demon Womb and Legend of the Overfiend. I'm not even going to discuss it on air. I'll talk to you about it off air because it's truly horrible. Um, technically, they are manga. Um, but for me, this changed something inside me and made me wake up to cinema you know, in the world in general, there is a scope for cinema outside of the world, outside of the walled garden. That is Hollywood, and this film managed to do that for me. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You know, it's not for children. It is scary. It is upsetting, and the storyline is complicated. But with that being said, if you've got kids who you think can handle it, I think they will enjoy it. Yeah, you I know. mean, it's 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 very it's very um it's down to perception. Um, and you, you know, you go back. I go back to what you said before with the kid in the cinema, and you thought, "Oh, this kid's gonna fucking ruin this movie." Uh, if kid, some kids can, will ruin the movie. If yeah. Some won't. Um, it's down to down to the individual. If they're mature enough to to handle it, then absolutely. But yeah, yeah. It is a question of mature. I think you do have to be mature, and you need, you do need to have experienced a bit of life to to be able to enjoy this movie. Because um, because this this really is a film about life and death. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you were saying before about the PG rating. You know, you think about it. There have been some pretty dark movies that have been PG rated. Back to the Future, which famously includes an incest storyline and one including rape. <laughs> Attempted rape was a PG. And an old man and a young boy that's never really explained. Yeah, I mean Marty! Get into my car in the middle of a in the middle of a car park an empty lot. Parking lot at, at one night. o'clock in the morning. With no yeah. people around to be witnesses. And, and don't tell your parents for God's sake. Let's look at it this way. 
I, th- you know, if, if you read into the movie, there's a lot of subtle kind of underlines there. Because Doc, at, at the very beginning of the movie, when he tries the car, Doc, I think, kind of thinks of this as a murder-suicide pact. Because mm. he drives the car straight at them. With no idea if it's going to work or not. He's yeah. untested. He's not tested the car before this moment. And he drives the car literally head on at them. And if that doesn't if that car doesn't hit eighty eight miles an hour at the right time, if it doesn't work, Doc and Marty are both dead. True, true. But anyway, anyway, we we'll you know what, we're gonna have to cover those films. Tangential. We we yeah, we are gonna have to cover those films properly at some point. You know, this is Miyazaki is synonymous with Studio Ghibli. Studio Ghibli is synonymous with Miyazaki. If you mention the name Studio Ghibli, most people will mention this name. Now, I think it does deserve the accolade. You know, I I think this film, I think the only film that has come close to beating this as an animated film for me. It's your name. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not the only person to say that, just for the record. Other people have said this. I'm not the only one saying this. But in terms of a film, I cannot fault it. I will watch it any time I get the opportunity. And I just love it. And I think it will always be there for me. And it will always have a special place in my heart. Well, you might be glad to know, Miyazaki's got a new animated film coming out. Oh, good. In 2019. Excellent. I shall keep an eye out for that. Or the Caterpillar. Oh, that sounds like a nice cat. That sounds like a nice film, actually. Yeah. I like Caterpillars. Well, do you, do you have anything else to say before we wrap this one up, or should we call it a week on this one? Let's let's call it a day on this one. Cool. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, I have been Christopher Hunter. He has been Mike Larkin. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please consider following us on SoundCloud and please subscribe. Ah, please consider subscribing on iTunes. Uh, we do have presence there. Um, if you'd rather hear newer films being reviewed, me and Derek do do a uh, fortnightly podcast uh, focusing on the newer films. And when this is released. I'm not exactly sure where we're going to be up to new films, but um, yeah, we 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 have quite strong opinions. So on that note, I will say goodbye. Mike, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. Good lad. See you later, everyone. Bye bye. You have been listening to Sunday Afternoon Cinema, which is a recorded podcast. The podcast was hosted by myself and Mike Larkin. The podcast was recorded, produced, and edited by myself, Mr. Windsor. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider subscribing on iTunes or following on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening.